Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcroft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we will continue our reflections into Paul's second letter to the Church of Corinth. And, you know, someone asked me, someone pulled me aside and said, Joe, I noticed that you emphasize just not a letter to a particular community, but you say Church of Corinth. And I do do that intentionally. I think we can forget (laughs) that St. Paul is writing to specific communities, okay, specific churches within a particular area, right? So Paul's second letter to the Corinthians is his second letter to the church of Corinth, right? His letter to the Ephesians is a letter to the church in Ephesus, okay? These are letters that are very specific in who they are addressing And as we have been exploring in great detail the context to which these churches find themselves in, the many pastoral needs, in so many ways we can say that he's writing to the many pastoral needs of these churches. So, yes, that is uh, very important to note that. I don't know if I've ever really talked about that before as I've been going through Paul's two epistles to the church of Corinth, but it is something to note. Now, for this evening, I am very excited because I have been waiting (laughs) <laughs> to talk about 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 6, as it will afford us to begin to have that conversation about this call we have to be mystics. Now, yes, I have talked about this before, but I've yet to talk about it within the context of St. Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth, and especially as St. Paul himself has this profound mystical experience. So, Without further ado, let us jump in. Now, I said verses uh, 1 to 6. I'll go ahead and read verses 1 to 7. I must boast, not that it is profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know someone in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up to the third heaven. And I know that this person whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard ineffable things which no one may utter. About this person, I will boast, but about myself, I will not boast, except about my weaknesses. Although if I should wish to boast, I would not be foolish, for I would be telling the truth. But if I refrain so that no one may think more of me, than what he sees in me or hears from me because of the abundance of the revelations. All right, so let's treat these verses. And once again, I'm pulling here in principle from uh, the Catholic commentary on sacred scripture. Uh, This is Father Stegman. He does a a beautiful job of drawing out some of the key words, uh, the context to which we are to interpret these key words, uh, pulling from church fathers. So we have been using, as you know, if you are a faithful listener, uh, Father Stegman and this Catholic commentary to really steer our our reflections as a whole. That being said, what we have here in chapter 12 is Paul turning to the subject of 
visions, and revelations. While he makes clear that he has been blessed with ecstatic experiences from God, ecstasy, right? He subtly chides those who boast about private spiritual encounters. He, he once again insists on boasting about his weaknesses. Now, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why would he talk about his own revelations and visions and then chide others? Well, this is what we will uh, talk about, huh? As in chapter 11, verse 30, Paul asserts that he must boast. The success of the boastful super-apostles in capturing the hearts of at least some of the Corinthians has evidently forced St. Paul to engage in boasting himself, something, as we've talked about, he finds distasteful. Paul again suggests the futility of boasting by remarking, not that it is profitable. Nevertheless, he proceeds to go on to visions and revelations. Now, visions and revelations really express a single reality, huh? In this case, how revelatory experiences have both these visual and audible features. Paul qualifies these visions how? But with the phrase, of the Lord, okay, of the Lord. In doing so, he clearly suggests that the Lord Jesus is the source of these profound spiritual experiences he is having and that their content concerns things about himself. No, Jesus, right? Now, Paul offers for us, my friends, a dramatic instance of special revelation from the Lord. That he recounts only one revelatory experience does not mean that he did not have others. Indeed, he actually refers in verse 7 to the what, but abundance of revelations he received. His reason for focusing on this particular one certainly becomes clear as the passage unfolds. Now, there are several noteworthy features of Paul's description. One is that he narrates the event in the third person, and it reads kind of awkward. <laughs> I know someone in Christ who. But as I was just noting, as the passage unfolds, it becomes apparent that Paul is referring to himself. So, why does he use the third person? Well, such an intimate spiritual experience is best kept to oneself. It really does come off as him not wanting to talk about it with others, but he feels compelled to do so because of the interlopers, the intruding missionaries boasting. So Paul uses the third person, what would appear to be out of modesty, really. And it also serves to convey something of the mysterious uh, extraordinary and really transcendent quality of the experience itself, a quality that is also suggested by his uncertainty expressed in verses 2 and 3 about whether the experience took place in the body or out of the body. It is also possible that Paul was aware of being away from his body while at the same time having these extraordinary physical sensations. Quite honestly, that is something that uh, I believe that Paul was aware of being away from his body while at the same time having these extraordinary physical sensations. In any event, Paul insists that God knows what happened. As in chapter 11, verses 11 and 31, Paul appeals what? To God's knowledge to uphold the truth of what he is saying. 
Now, the mysterious, extraordinary, transcendent quality of his experience is also suggested by the twofold use of the verb was caught up. Incidentally, my friends, the same verb is used in his letter to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, when he describes how believers, both living and dead, will be caught up or snatched up in the clouds to meet the Lord at his coming in glory. The verb here conveys a sense of suddenness, a sense of um, surprise. Note, too, uh, the passive voice of the verb. This is what we would call an instance of the divine passive, which really puts the accent and the emphasis on God initiating, God's initiative and activity, rather than any action of, well, in this case, St. Paul, who was merely the recipient of the revelation. Now, another striking feature as we go through these verses of Paul's description of his revelatory experience is that he gives a precise date. Now, this is really interesting because he says, 14 years ago, which if we're going to date uh, Paul's second letter to the church of Corinth in the mid-50s, then here we are talking about somewhere in the early 40s. Note that this date is several years after his initial encounter with the risen Christ, okay, which of course most scholars have uh, taking place in the early 30s. In fact, it is really difficult, if not impossible, to identify the experience described in verses 2 to 4 with any of Paul's visions or revelations known from his writings or from Acts of the Apostles. This is significant because Paul is just now revealing to the Corinthians an event from long ago, something that he had ample time to have told them about in his prior visit and or in his writings. But for whatever reason, he decides now to talk about it. Have you ever had an encounter where you might have almost said something, but then you were for one reason or another made to stop and draw back to tell yourself, you want to know what? Right now is probably not the best time. Well, clearly, St. <laughs> Paul had this experience because ultimately, I'm sure, he would have felt compelled to speak of this at some point in time. And yet, he decides now is the time. Because as St. Paul himself talks about this experience he had, he does so in the name of Jesus Christ, not on something he did. Again, note, he puts this verb in the passive sense. It is something he received. It is something that God initiated. In so many ways, what St. Paul is doing here is he's calling out the whole agenda of the super apostles. He's saying to them, this isn't about what you are doing. This is about what God desires to do through someone else because God initiates. God is the protagonist of Christianity and history. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. We receive that gift, and in the gift of the Holy Spirit do we become the ambassadors of Christ that we are called to be. So it is, my friends, that uh, St. Paul is showing us that he has been circumspect in talking about his special prayer experiences, experiences he regards as divine gifts and not as badges of personal honor as the super apostles would have them to be. So Paul declares that he was transported to the third heaven, a place he then identifies as 
paradise. And so he intimates that he was temporarily taken up by God to the highest place in heaven where the divine glory dwells, given that Paul referred in verse 1 to visions and revelations of the Lord Jesus. Does he suggest here that he was set in the presence of the glorified Christ? Perhaps, perhaps. But what else does he say? While he heard ineffable things, he also says, which no one may utter. These unutterable utterances, while they might be angelic praises or revelations of divine mysteries, in the end, evidently, were clearly beyond what human language could convey. What is more, and maybe even more importantly, even if he was able to, the apostle states, he has not been permitted to do so. This brings up another point. <laughs> what is God permitting you to do? What is God permitting you to say? What is God permitting you to share? Just because you have been given an insight to a situation, that doesn't always mean that you are called to share that insight with whomever, wherever, and whenever. What St. Paul teaches us is ultimately the essence of what discernment is about. The word discernment comes from the Latin root that literally translates to come to understand. So we are made to slowly contemplate, ponder, download those things that come to mind and heart so as to then ask the question, what is the meaning of this moment? Lord, do you want me to share this? Do you want me to share that in this particular encounter? Or do you want me to share it for another time because right now just isn't the best timing? How important is that? How many of you, if I was in front of a group, I would say, give me a show of hands. How many of you have spoken out of turn? If you're going to be honest with yourself, you're probably raising your hand right now. I'm in this radio studio in Chico, California, raising my hand. Okay, I've spoken out of turn. Mea culpa. In God's grace, are we given a gift? The gift of silence, the virtue of silence. Silence is a virtue when we have something to say, but resist saying it because you realize that you want to know what, like I just said, right now just probably isn't the best time. St. Paul has something so important to teach us here. Now, Paul concludes in verse 5 his use of the third person pronoun in talking about himself, about this person I will boast. You see, my friends, he can boast about what happened 14 years ago because he has clearly explained that it was ultimately God's doing. He's not boasting about himself. He's boasting about what God is doing in him because why he is then, in actuality, boasting in the Lord. Paul then refers to his preferred manner of boasting, the one he already expressed and the one we've already talked about. I will not boast except about my weaknesses, he says in verse 5. There he recounted his, his harrowing escape from Damascus, where he was set down in a basket. I love when St. Paul gives us detail to his harrowing experiences, that he found himself being lowered down in a basket <laughs> to escape more persecution. Most fascinating. Okay, this evening I also wanted to take some time to talk about mystical experiences, and how can we talk about mystical experiences and not talk about St. Teresa of Jesus, a St. Teresa of Avila? St. Teresa of Avila 
is one of those saints who had extraordinary mystical encounters with God. She had many mystical encounters with God. Her writings describe uh, these spiritual experiences, and as they do, they do so in the context of prayer. St. Teresa of Avila gives us uh, her four grades of prayer or four states of prayer. Now, in the fourth state of prayer, or in that final state of prayer, St. Teresa of Avila portrays an experience where she was caught up in God, and she really speaks to it in the context of rapture, where she was raptured into the hands of God in terms that in so many ways recalls Paul's sense of being caught up in God. This is uh, from St. Teresa's writings. It comes generally as a shock, quick and sharp, and you see and feel it as a cloud, or as a powerful eagle ascending and bearing you on its wings. I repeat, you see and feel yourself transported, but you know not where. I love that. <laughs> you know not where. St. Teresa also expressed her sense of wonder in the aftermath of such experiences in a way that also echoes St. Paul. Listen to her words. It has happened to me on occasion when this prayer was over, to be so beside myself that I did not know whether I had been alive, whether I did not know whether I had been dreaming. On such occasion, St. Teresa of Avila also speaks to the gift of tears and how out from those tears she would receive a great courage that in many ways confirmed the reality of her mystical experience. So St. Teresa of Avila in her four states of prayer, specifically her final state, would speak to this ecstatic union, this mystical transforming union. And so we have seen, not only in the life of St. Teresa of Avila, but others, this kind of mystical union. A number of you out there might be familiar with uh, the great Padre Pio, St. Pio. He experienced another kind of phenomenon similar to this kind of mystical union called bilocation. Bilocation is one of those more remarkable gifts attributed to Padre Pio. Um, him being in one place and at the same time in another place. His appearances on various continents are and have been attested by numerous eyewitnesses uh, who either saw him or smelled the odors that are characteristically associated with his presence described by some as roses and by others as tobacco. And I want to talk about this a little bit. Some of you who might be hearing this for the first time are saying, what and what? Well, pay close attention because actually some of what we are talking about right now has its seeds and its roots in sacred scripture. In the Old Testament, from time to time, you'll read of this muron, uh, this chrism oil, this oil that would have a very special odor. And as it was understood in Jewish antiquity, this odor would help the encounter with God, would encourage a deeper encounter with God. Why? Because God would use our senses, just not sight, but also smell, to encourage the encounter. So during an anointing, you'd be perfumed with oil, and that oil would have a very um, robust smell. And that smell would encourage the encounter with the reality of what that oil was conferring. Incidentally, my friends, something similar to Padre Pio is the story of St. Polycarp of Smyrna. I have detailed that story on more than one occasion. 
that in 155 AD, the great Bishop of Smyrna was martyred in the Colosseum. As the story is told, when he was nailed to a stake and when his body was set on fire, the flames sent forth this very sweet-smelling odor, as it was described by some in the Colosseum, like that of a sweet-smelling frankincense. Huh? Well, all throughout the years, we have this particular gift given to certain people that well might encourage the encounter with that of the divine. Brothers and sisters, we are mere vessels, mere instruments. And something that St. Paul testifies to is, in the end, as mere vessels, as mere instruments, we are called to transforming, mystical, ecstatic union with God. And if God wishes to anoint that union with a certain kind of smell, then let it be so. And St. Pio was one of those saints, one of those men who received such an anointing, which again is called the odor of sanctity. The odor was especially strong from the blood coming from his wounds. As many of you know, St. Padre Pio received the stigmata, the actual wounds of Christ. Now, among the most remarkable of the documented cases, uh, mystical cases of St. Padre Pio is his bilocation. On one particular occasion, and we'll, we'll touch upon a couple of these, the Padre's St. Pio's appearance in the air over San Giovanni Rotunda during World War II, while southern Italy remained in Nazi hands, American bombers were given the job of attacking the city of San Giovanni Rotunda. However, when they appeared over the city, the city of San Giovanni Rotunda, the city where Padre Pio is from, and prepared to unload their ammunitions, a brown-robed friar appeared before their aircraft. All attempts to release the bombs failed. Later on, when an American airbase was established a few miles away, one of the pilots of this incident visited the friary and found to his shocking surprise that the little friar he had seen in the air that day over San Giovanni was before him. As to uh, <laughs> how Padre Pio, with God's help, accomplished such feats, the closest he ever came to an explanation of bilocation was to say that it occurred, and I love this, by an extension of his personality, by an extension of his personality. Now, we have the testimony of uh, one Padre Carmelo Durante. Padre Carmelo Durante was a superior of Padre Pio's, and for the good of souls, I think in many ways we have his testimony. Now, as he speaks to it, our Lord gave him many gifts, and among these gifts was bilocation, which again, enables a person to be present in two places at the same time. Bilocation, my friends, to avoid confusion, is not the same as what we might call ubiquity, which means uh, omnipresence, namely being present everywhere at the same time. My dear friends, that only belongs to God. Now, as it relates to another account of bilocation, and this again is Father Carmelo Durante, during the Second World War, I would usually spend the summer holidays from the Gregorian University of Rome in the friary of San Giovanni Rotunda, close to the beloved Padre. They were especially happy days. One year on July 25th, 
he asked me if I could go the following day to celebrate Mass in a little church in the country dedicated to St. Anne near the Amendola Airport. Naturally, I willingly accepted. The next day I arrived by bus and began to hear the confessions of the farmers of the area and afterwards celebrated Mass in the little church to everyone's satisfaction. When I returned, the beloved Padre, that is Padre Pio, asked me what the church was like. I described it to him, small, rectangular, with two windows, one on each side. At this point, he interrupted, two windows? What about the third at the end? Didn't you see it? I remembered at once and embarrassingly said, but Padre, you who haven't been there know more than I who have. You are making fun of me, asking me what you already know? Without fuss, ignoring the insinuation of his bilocation, he said his intention was not to make fun of me, but only to complete the description of the church. What humility and simplicity in those words aimed at hiding the gift from God of bilocation. But that third window gave him away. Later in the friary, I learned in fact that that morning of July 26th, the padre had carried out his postulate as usual. So here was further evidence of that privilege enjoyed by the padre of being present in two places at the same time. How could he describe one place when never being there and at the same time be fulfilling his apostolate? So that's another story. There are literally hundreds of stories, hundreds of stories about Padre Pio. I talk about Padre Pio. I talk about St. Teresa of Avila because, my dear friends, these are examples, illustrations of what St. Paul is talking about. And by that I mean these revelations how we are called to share in these revelations. Revelations and visions, not by our own doing, but by God's doing. And these are revelations that are in many ways tied to mystical union. Now, that being said, I've received the question before, Joe, do you have to be in this fourth state of prayer to receive mystical phenomenon? No. God can do whatever He wants to do. But for the person who is so deep in these transformative states uh, in God, then certainly we can say, as church history has shown, you are more likely to experience such an experience. I don't know if you out there have had such an experience. I am one who does believe we have these experiences more than we realize we have these experiences, but we chalk them up to some crazy dream or a figment of our imagination when in reality, God is trying to speak to us. Brothers and sisters, all things are not bound up in what we call coincidence, but God incidents, not some sort of unexplained concurrence of events, but ultimately in the end, what is designed to be providential. And this, my dear friends, is what I hope we can see and appreciate when one speaks to the mystical encounter. All right, all glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.